and welcome to Check It Out with EVPL. A podcast from your local library. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm your host, Ellen. And today we are joined by two guests. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Eric. I'm an experienced facilitator at EVPL Central, and I have worked for EVPL for seven years. And my name is Ryan. You've heard my voice before, and I bullied myself onto today's episode. He did. He's actually quite a terrifying man. He was just here when we showed up. Yeah, you can't say no if I'm already sitting in the mic. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just say that with today's topic, I think he's going to be a very useful person, because today we are discussing video games. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That sounds sarcastic, but actually we are super excited. We're just really bad at expressing (laughs) joy. (laughs) So how cool are video games, guys? I mean, so cool, too cool for school. Dang, that's that's. That, I haven't heard that in a long time, Alan. Let's appreciate it. Um, they're great. I, I've played them for years and years, um, many decades actually. So I think we're part of that generation to where we we grew up on it, like the first one to actually be able to grow up on it. Yeah, because we were kind of like with computers, like we've always had commercialized video game systems available to us mm-hmm. in like the public. And we've seen a jump from like characters consisting of like four lines in a circle to like high photorealistic graphics nowadays. So what about you, Eric? What's your history with video games? So the earliest video games I can remember are actually not as much about the video games themselves, but more the experience of going into a video store. Those things that used to exist where you used to get these (laughs) mythical VHS tapes, whatever those are. And you would actually be able to rent out a video game system for a weekend and you get a bunch of games and uh, play it for that weekend. I can remember doing this for both the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. I would say that the first video game system that really became normalized in our household was the original PlayStation. It's a bit of a cliche and a a meme online, but there's a saying that your first CD player is a PlayStation 1, your first DVD player is a PlayStation 2, (laughs) and your first Blu-ray player is a PlayStation 3. And definitely with the latter two, that is absolutely the case. So we were... From that point on, a Sony family uh, pretty exclusively. But when I was very little, I remember just getting video game systems for a weekend, playing one game to completion on a Saturday, and then maybe a couple months later getting a different video game system. Oh, yeah, that, that time limit you had. You had two days to beat it, and if you didn't, <laughs> oh, it was, it was trouble. Yep. Well, the, you delivered that like you were being interviewed for the History Channel, and that <laughs> broke my heart. I'm like, oh, gosh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> there are people listening to this who might not have even been born yet and who have no idea about the concept of the magical rental stores. Yep. By the way, uh, so if that's true with the PlayStations, how you know PS1 is your first music player, would the Nintendo be your first balloon? <laughs> it's an interesting thing to think about. And especially with you know Nintendo, I feel like there is such a family-friendly reputation to it. So it's very much something that kids, I feel like, know Mario perhaps more than Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny or some of the icons that we grew up with that this has become such ingrained in pop culture now that kids are playing Mario and Yoshi and Donkey Kong before they might be able to speak. And you know a lot of kids, their first camera was the Game Boy camera. Oh, yeah. 
did any of you guys have the Game Boy camera or like the printers and all the weird add-ons that they did for those? I had a friend who did. He had yeah, he had the right. entire tricked out Game Boy that weighed mm-hmm. like ten pounds after it all <laughs> it was said and done. And I mean, it was cool. Uh, yeah, I, I had no interest in it. We definitely had a similar thing where our first DVD player was the PlayStation 2, and that was like the first game system that we had in our household. And I was still pretty young when we got that. So my initial video game experience was just a lot of watching my brother play Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. <laughs> yep. I remember that you could unlock uh, Spider-Man as a playable <laughs> character in that. And, oh man, those games had amazing soundtracks too. My first console was the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Mm. And uh, we were like, I was two when we got it. And I had no idea why I was playing for like a good three years. I just knew that like certain buttons did something and I would never get past the first level. But uh, my big brother would kind of help me get through it until I could kind of like be a little more um, on mark with those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my history is kind of similar. My earliest one was the Atari. Yeah, so I, I'm a little bit uh, further back than you, but I did skip the NES. Went straight to the Super Nintendo. But some of the earliest memories I have were actually playing, because uh, you could hook up four joysticks with the Atari home console. And uh, I have three siblings. So <laughs> it was all four of us just playing old Atari games. And that's like one of the fondest family memories I have. And my dad actually would get into it with us um, as well. So it was just a big bonding experience at that point in my life, which was really, really cool. What was your go-to party game? Go-to party game as a kid, I think it was called Warlords or something. It was like four-person Pong. Oh. It was, yeah, it was it was a battle royale because, you know, you're, you're playing with a joystick, but you're also punching your brother or sister because <laughs> yeah. you don't need two hands for your controller. So you're saying this is like the precursor to Fortnite. Squabbling, yeah, essentially. When they design the like online play, they're like, what what if you can just like, instead of punching someone, verbally punch them Mm, with your words? (laughs) So um, you're probably thinking like, hey, I thought this was a library podcast. We're getting to the connection. Just don't worry. So I know that on Wednesdays uh, in the late afternoon, we do have video game nights here over in the Teen Center. Eric, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. We have teen gaming that goes every Wednesday. We have it in our teen zone. There's a circular room that was once upon a time a cafe here at Central, but is now used for library events such as this. There are three TVs used, one with a Switch, one with a Wii, and one with a GameCube. All have different iterations of both Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers available. Right now, we're doing exclusively Nintendo titles and those franchises because they are most importantly fun, but they're also family-friendly, easy to learn how to play, easy to include multiple players. That being said, we do have a PlayStation 2, and we may expand what titles and systems we use in the future. Every Wednesday from 3 to 5, the cafe area has these games along with popcorn and occasionally other snacks. Most of our students are from Signature School. The kids come over and most play their games, although some will sit and do their homework or use our colored pencils and markers to draw. At its busiest, there can be up to 30 to 35 teens in there, although for most of the two hours, it's a little bit closer to 10. And though most of these students are from sixth school, not all 
are. And it is a joy when word of mouth spreads and teens from other schools in the area start showing up because they want to participate. Yeah, and uh, I work most Wednesday nights, and that it is just a uh, a raucous good time every time I walk by there. All the kids <laughs> yes. are really involved, and if they're not playing, they're very vocal observers. Absolutely, gotta love that backseat gaming. Oh yeah, yep. yeah, <laughs> yep. Uh, so, if someone wanted to, to to suggest any new titles or anything or changes to it, how would they do so? Well, they could always come to us. They could put in a request through the Ask EVPL uh, service on our website. So far, I would really say that I haven't gotten as many requests for new titles so much as different accessories. For example, uh, we have a lot of old GameCube controllers, and there's actually an accessory that one student had, and he showed it to me, and we are going to order one ourselves that allows up to four GameCube controllers to be plugged into the Switch. So it just allows up to six players instead of the usual two that the Switch has. So just you know, different accessories like that have been recommended in the past and add to our uh, collection. Cool. And who all is allowed to come? For the most part, is uh, teenagers. We're a little you know, leeway if somebody's you know twelve or thirteen or what's middle school, high school. But for the really young kids, the Reed Center will sometimes have a, a similar program. But the one that I do on Wednesday afternoons is for teenagers, approximately thirteen to eighteen. Okay. And if anyone wanted to find out more information about this, they could visit our website because we've got information on the events page about it, don't we? Absolutely. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. And uh, another very important question here. I have spotted those metallic DDR pads in the back. When are we going to whip those bad boys out? (laughs) We are considering it. I'm maybe... It was 2019 we had some of the DDR stuff for the Xbox 360 out at one point. So we had a 360 and we had some dance games for that. So the only issue is that we currently do it in the cafe and it's kind of a small space, especially when everybody's crammed in around all the TVs. But in the future, if we maybe have a place set aside for it in the teen zone, I can definitely see something like that going on. And uh, I apologize. DDR stands for Dance Dance Revolution, which is a um, a rhythm game where you have four directional arrows you step on to correlate with the beats. And uh, it's, trust me, when you start doing it, you're like, oh, this looked a lot easier than I thought. <laughs> it really tells you how much how old you are because uh, back, yes. back in the day, I was like, oh, this is super fun. And then I got on it like two or three years ago and I barely made it to my first song. And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> Too, too much emotion going on all over the place. So can we just do up and down? Like, I can't, I can't do left and right and down. <laughs> Yeah, limit me to just, just one arrow. I'm, I'm good. I like that the kind of newer interpretations of DDR, instead of using a dance pad, you have the motion-sensitive controllers. And so, like, you have to really get into it or else you don't get as high of a score. Yeah, that's, uh, is it Just Dance? Is that the series that does that? That's one of them, yeah. yeah. I think there's a few different ones. You're telling me I have to dance with both my feet and my arms? Yes. I can't just shuffle back and forth like I do, like my old middle school dances. That's what I want. I want, I want a middle school dance simulator. Oof. Where, you know, you just, you're you like, you know, you're really far apart. And yeah, you awkward. lock the arms. Yeah, you don't want to make too much eye contact. 
It'd just be like a persona type RPG. <laughs> you have to like go talk to all the different like gatherings of kids. You've got the kids on the bleachers who never dance. The ones who think they're really good dancers. But mm-hmm. obviously not. Yeah, and then it throws you into the mini game. There you go. Yeah, there you that, go. There, there's the link. So you mentioned Persona, and that's actually one that I'm really excited about right now. Persona Five is the latest one, and that is exclusive to the PlayStation. But there's a lot going on because that series is having their 25th anniversary event for basically this entire year, and so they may release that on cross-platform as well as a lot of other kind of updates and fun little remakes they're doing. Have you heard anything about that? Um, the only thing I know for sure right now is that they're releasing the Persona for Ultra Max fighting game mm-hmm. for the Switch. Um, I'm very eager to hear what else they have cooking up right now because I, I feel like they're going to be bringing a lot of those games over to more systems. Yeah, there's a rumor that they're also doing Persona 3 on the Switch, but I, I don't think they've confirmed that yet. But that's the only one in the series where you can play as either a girl or a guy. It's also one of the few games I've cried to. Persona? Persona 3. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did, uh, I did a previous podcast with one of my friends, mm-hmm. and we were talking about favorite video games of all time. And that made, I think, number 9, just because of the emotional response I had to mm-hmm. it. I don't have enough fingers to count how many times I've cried. <laughs> 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 like, just off the top of my head, I'm like, Metal Gear Solid, Persona 5, Guardians of the Galaxy... Uh, Silent oh, last, Hill 2. Silent Hill 2. <laughs> <laughs> cry, cry for different reasons. So. <laughs> um, Have you had any other like visceral reactions apart? I play a lot of horror video games and mm-hmm. a lot of moments that produce visceral reactions with me I cannot talk about right now. <laughs> I just know that if you know, you know, the end of Dead Space 2, there's a little surprise mini game that had me put down the controller. And for a second, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm done playing. I think I've, I've reached my end. I know the game has another ending, but I think I'm done. Are you guys familiar with the game Bioshock? Yes. Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite games, it does have kind of that horror creepy element to it with like jump scares and stuff. I played it first at friend's recommendation and we were at her house and it was middle of the day, very bright, well lit room. And we got to the scene where you have to go to like a creepy hospital yeah, you know yeah, the jump know. scare. You yeah. immediately know the jump scare I'm talking about if you have played this game. It happened, and I threw the controller across the room, and I screamed at the top of my lungs. As much as I love horror movies and horror books, there is an anticipation and dread that comes from video games that can't be replicated in any other <laughs> medium because you are an active participant instead of a passive one. No matter how scary it gets in a book or a movie, it is ultimately the characters making the choices. Whereas in a video game, you are the one who has to go around that corner. You are the one who mm-hmm. has to walk through that fog. You are the one who has to decide whether to open that door, not knowing what is on the other side. And so that element of interactivity just makes the fear and tension completely surpass what can be achieved in other mediums. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's also weird because I love playing horror video games. I hate horror movies. I cannot <laughs> stand awesome. them. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really good point uh, because I played Phasmophobia, which I don't know if you oh, guys have. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's still in early access. It's changed a lot, but it's a multiplayer horror game, essentially, and you play as like ghost investigators, and you go into a, a house that has some kind of entity in it and you're supposed to find out what it is by 
talking to it or laying down stuff and like have it right in a book but we were playing it and uh, i am not a huge horror fan so i was definitely the guy that was just like i'll go ahead and just stand by the door and make sure everything's fine on like behind you you guys go down to the basement and all that uh and in that game um the doors can lock so the front door <laughs> locked behind me and my friends were all out in the basement and down the hallway i see this thing coming at me and I literally just took my headset off and walked away. I was like, nope, <laughs> not doing it. Oh, the worst thing in a horror game is when there is an abundance of real estate. Like, you see a long, narrow corridor, you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's got windows right next to it. Like, okay, yeah, I know what's coming, but you're still just kind of like, you're, you tense up. And a lot of designers um, do anticipate that. So, mm-hmm. like... Half the time you walk by the window, nothing's going to happen. And then something bursts out of the wall right in front of you. I do it. (laughs) There's a lot of really cool things going on on the indie horror game development scene right now. There's this really strong focus on developing games that look like PS1 era games. Uh, Because there's something like off-putting about how the polygons were used. Um, Because, you know, back then it was because that was like the the maximum availability of that technology now they're kind of pulling back and just being like you know what people look weird in ps1 games when you try and make like a full human model like they have like bumps and jagged edges that that where we usually don't have bumps and jagged edges um and they've been using that to kind of create like very creepy vibes and like overall like underlying like horrific titles that reminds me of a game that I started playing recently. Have you heard of Return of the Obra Den? Yes. It's a great game. You can get it on different platforms, so there's probably something that you can play it on. And it's very easy to run because the graphics are all done in, like, retro style of, like, an old-school Mac. Or I think you can even make them Commodore 64. So you have various, like, two-tone displays. And it sounds so lame because you play as an insurance adjuster, but it's like kind of a magic insurance adjuster who this ship drifts into port after being lost at sea. And you have to go and figure out like what happened and how Mm. everyone on board died and all that stuff. And you have like a magic pocket watch that lets you see what happened and you can figure out who's who from watching all the various scenes. There's a developer I like on the indie scene called uh, Puppet Combo, mm-hmm. and he does like he plays with the visuals a lot. In fact, his his games are aesthetically supposed to look like some discarded old '80s horror movie VHS <laughs> you discovered in the back of like someone's back room. So you have like a VHS filter he applies. So they play like Silent Hill and like Resident Evil PS1 games with like a third person tank controls, but it's got like the scan lines. And, like, mm-hmm. some, like, static visuals to it. Oh, it's really cool. Yeah, I've seen a few other games that use that. Oxenfree, which is another really good indie title. Mm-hmm. And it's it kind of skirts that line between, like, actual game and visual novel. But you do have, like, puzzles to solve, and it's very much exploring this island. And there's a creepy surrealist aspect to it where uh, time shifts. And whenever time shifts, you get the, the cool fuzzy lines and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. Speaking of uh, visual novels, it's a little bit of an older game at this point, 2017, but 
still probably in my top three video games is Doki Doki Literature Club. I was, oh, just, yeah. I was about to bring that up. <laughs> because yeah. I didn't know it was a horror title going in. It was just presented me as this visual novel. So I was like, it's a little quirky. and Yeah, and it has that anime vibe of like the cutesy girls to kind of draw you in. Yes, and then it gets to a certain point when you're like, okay, I'm on a completely different <laughs> ride than I thought I was going to be. This experience is nothing like I thought it would be. I'm really glad the tag on Steam had the psychological horror on it. Because <laughs> I, I kind of knew something was up. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm sad that I, I know too much about that game now. <laughs> um, because I just, God, that would have been such a great, like, huh? Like, just to mount, huh? Yeah, there's a there's another recent one similar called Inscription, which is oh, like yeah. a card game simulator. But that's only like a third of the game. There's a bunch of other stuff going on that I don't want to spoil. But it's just it constantly has you keep going. Oh, so that's the game I'm playing. <laughs> there's so many games like that, too. There's Pony Island, where you are originally just playing like a 2D platformer called Pony Island. But you're actually playing the person who's playing Pony Island. Mm, okay, so very um, Inception-y. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> I should probably not talk about horror games now. Yeah, I was going to say, we've, we've covered think, horror pretty well. Yeah, I think. Personally, what I like about video games is, just, I mean, they're, they're art. They really are. Mm-hmm. And they're interactive, and there's so much stuff going on. And it's, it's just so much fun to appreciate. So, I mean, what's I guess we could talk about what games really blew your mind or changed your perspective on something. For me, I just got my PC like uh, a year before this came out, and this was my first. I so I kind of exploring some of the indie scene space, but the first game I really had like the strongest emotional reaction to was Gone Home. Mm. Okay, and Gone Home is a first-person exploration game that a lot of people lovingly call walking simulators because all you really <laughs> do is walk around, you click on things, play a girl who comes home for the first time in a year. No one, uh, none of your family members are home. It looks like everyone's just dashed out in the middle of the night. And the game is about exploring what your family has been up to in the last year through using environmental storytelling, like finding notes. And you do unlock certain voiceover narratives from the girl's younger sister. But mostly it's just like you're finding things like, you no know, certain dates circled on a calendar, certain foods that you find discarded in the fridge and trash can it's just you're piecing it together yourself Mm -hmm. yeah i had one that was kind of similar to that it's called braid which was i think a 2012 puzzle game and it's got a really dope soundtrack i listen Mm -hmm. to it all the time but it's also the story is fascinating because you're not the best narrator so you as you're going through the story you're kind of discovering that maybe you're like you're you're chasing your princess essentially and you're going through this game and you're solving puzzles to get to her and save her but that's your imagination and as you discover you're like okay maybe uh, I don't have a healthy relationship with this person and then like the last level is this really interesting flip because it's split halfway in the screen the top half is her running from a monster and the bottom is you doing these puzzles to try and help her escape But after a certain point, you realize that you're not helping her escape. You're trying to prevent her from escaping. So, like, whenever you push a button, it brings up a wall that she was supposed to climb, but it traps her in. Mm -hmm. And it's just it changes your perspective on what your character actually 
his motivations are. It's just, it blew my mind. And that's the thing I love about video games because they take certain storytelling elements we're used to, like the unreliable narrator, and they find a new way to kind of spin it and deliver that to the audience. You mentioned Metal Gear Solid earlier, and that's definitely a franchise that, on the surface, it is very much a stealth action suspense thriller but getting into the gameplay so much of it is fourth wall breaking and meta and actively makes the player question their participation in the story in the first one there's a very famous incident where you have to fight a telepath and the only way to defeat the telepath is to take the controller out of controller one port and put it into controller two <laughs> port. And at that point, he can no longer read your mind. Oh, that's um, amazing. In the third one, there is a section where you have to walk down a river of the damned. Mm-hmm. And depending on how you played the game, depends on how difficult it is. If you non-lethally took care of your enemies, mm-hmm. then you don't have anybody on the river except the bosses. But if you went and indiscriminately slaughtered all the enemy soldiers that you saw, then you have ghosts there went to pull you down. <laughs> so it's very much how you play the game determines what kind of game you're given and what the experience is like. Oh, man, the Metal Gear Solid series. You can just like <laughs> have several podcasts just digging into like, all of those eccentric things. I love also with the boss battle with the sidekick. He reads your memory card. Yep. And he tells you, like, if you played any other games from that same developer, he'll make remarks on that and be like, oh, I see you're a fan <laughs> of Castlevania. There's also in um, Snake Eater, which is the third installment, the really old guy who's a sniper. <laughs> yes. If you yeah. just wait long enough, he ends up dying before you get to him. Because <laughs> yes. he's like literally on the edge of death. And if you take too long, it's just he's like the grave. 10 years old or <laughs> yeah. something like that. And I was like, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. And, like, if you don't, if you actually fight him, I've heard it's, like, a really intense sniper battle. Yep. Or you just wait it out. <laughs> yep. Although your commanding officer does uh, call you out for cowardice <laughs> if you do that. So there is a little bit of finger-wagging at the uh, player. Have you guys played Dishonored? Yes. Okay. Dishonored, it's another good one that has the stealth elements, but also a lot of choice that changes how the gameplay goes. There's two games in the series, and you can get through both of them entirely non-lethally, which is really hard. The friend who told me about this game, um, I went back to him and I told him that I beat the first one with non-lethal achievement. And he got really upset because he had not done that yet. And then when the second one came out, he immediately came to me and was like, my first playthrough, I did it non-lethally just to beat you. (laughs) (laughs) But there's also, like, magic elements where there's this guy called the Outsider, and he'll, like, give you these magic powers that, like, some people think are evil, but some people worship and that kind of thing. And there are also options to, like, get through the entire game without using any of those powers and just relying on, like, the technology side of things. And while we're on this topic, I have to mention Undertale. Of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> Which I, I missed the boat on. I also missed the boat on Undertale. I just know a lot about yeah. it. Tell us uh, a little bit about Undertale. It's a game that you play <laughs> as a uh, boy who fell down like a well, essentially. And you wake up in this underground uh, that's inhabited by monsters. And you're kind of told one thing. 
I'm, I'm butchering the story uh, <laughs> that they the monsters want your soul and that they're evil. They're trying to get you. But as you roam through the world, you kind of find out that that's not really the case and that everyone's kind of got their own motives. And there's a little bit of propaganda going on and you can play the game multiple ways. And there's a lot of twists and turns. And it seems on the surface to just be this fun, I'm going to say derpy uh, because of the art style and the naming and all of that stuff, but it, it's 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 not just like a very shallow. It's it's not shallow, even though it looks like it. It's it's an extremely deep game that has a lot of commentary on um, expectations and stuff like that. Yeah, and I've heard that it's it, a lot of people have described it as both a commentary and a love letter to like RPGs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stardew Valley, any Stardew Valley. Yeah, farmers in here. Oh, yes. Um, I actually just recently did a playthrough (laughs) where I completed the community center for the first time. Because I've always been really bad at the fishing element in that game. Oh, I love fishing. That's that's my jam. Oh, it's... For some reason, that game is just super hard for me. I stay away from Stardew Valley because of a really weird thing I do. Um, So I love uh, efficiency. (laughs) And I'm like, so that game, you have a certain a certain amount of hours every day to do what you yeah. want to mm-hmm. do. And you also earn money and you can buy stuff and, and progress the game. So I'm like, I have to do everything as efficiently as possible, as quickly as possible to get everything done on time. And that's It's not imposing the game at all. It's supposed to be relaxing. But I'm yeah. super stressed <laughs> while I'm playing it. I mean, I bet you would knock out the achievements that are like sell one of every item <laughs> and like sell 500 of one item and all that kind of stuff you would be great for that oh yeah it's yeah i'm normally very chill but whenever i'm playing that game i'm just i'm horrible <laughs> but i did play a multiplayer playthrough with my friends mm-hmm. and we role played and i was just a lumberjack and that's when i had the most fun because i'm like you guys do whatever you want i'm gonna go ahead and cut some trees for an entire day <laughs> If you are interested in learning more about Stardew Valley, um, we do have a book here called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schroyer. I think I pronounced that correctly. It's um, a collection of behind-the-scenes stories about different video game developments, and that is one of the chapters. And one of the cool things about Stardew Valley is that it was all made by one human being. Mm Mm-hmm. Spent like four years making that. He goes by the name Concerned Ape. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a really fascinating chapter and a really fascinating book. Yeah, that title was actually what convinced one of my friends to take the step into becoming a video game developer. Oh, cool. uh, so he's yeah he's doing the indie thing now and he's having a lot of fun. But there should be a disclaimer that that is not the typical experience you have where you work on a game for four years and you make tons of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he got really lucky and he put in a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the the book kind of talks about how it was such a surreal thing, the massive success of this game. Between it selling like large quantities and the fact like he made a deal with his the distribution company where they only got a twenty percent cut of his of the actual sales. <laughs> now that's truly yeah. insane. Yeah, because well he made the deal when it was still in development, so they're like, oh, this is kind of a fun little game. Like this could make some profits, mm-hmm. and then it made all the profits. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy within a week he was a multimillionaire. Uh, and he didn't know what to do with the money for a year, and he still drove his, like, 95 Pinto that <laughs> still had the broken door on it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, just, yeah, check it out. It's a fascinating story. 
What would you guys describe as we don't have to like dwindle it down to one favorite video game, but like maybe handful of favorite games or favorite game series. Or like a defining game. A defining. I have to bring it up because we cannot do a, a full episode about video games without mentioning Portal. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that game, but man, it caused me a lot of headaches. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So I played Portal at my brother's recommendation. And I played it entirely the first time on a laptop with a trackpad, and I beat the game. Wow. Which wow. Uh, Portal, if anyone doesn't know, is a very popular game about physics and puzzles, and you have a portal gun that can connect two separate places, and it requires a lot of fine motor control and, like, moving around and spinning while falling through space to, like, launch all these different portals to get puzzles to work. It's very good. Yeah, I haven't said anything because my jaw hit the floor when you said that. That's <laughs> yeah. impressive. <laughs> but yeah, I, I still love Rat Man and the Cake is a Lie and like all the little secret <laughs> things that they kind of put in throughout. I think that's really good and really kickstarted a lot of innovation and in storytelling for video games. Mm-hmm. Oh, Glass is one of the best written antagonists in video game history. And then in Portal 2, you get Cave Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've already mentioned Metal Gear Solid and Silent Hill, both Konami franchises that I've mm-hmm. grown up with and always really enjoyed. I feel like I'm not a huge RPG person, but I like space opera enough that I can get into Mass Effect just mm. because it feels like I'm going into Babylon 5, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. I like that kind of world. Usually with RPGs, I just feel like I get overwhelmed by choices mm-hmm. and different things to do mass effect it's a little bit more action based so it's a little bit more palatable and like i said i really enjoy that world that's one that in addition to the other ones that i've mentioned i really enjoy yeah and i mean current generations probably look at and like oh cool action rpg and space but they can't fathom just how revolutionary that game was when it came out you know, like you said, it's like you're in one of those like, space opera TV series, yep. living that dream. And just the promise of, since they were developing a trilogy based on these games, your choices matter. Knowing yep. that what decision you made in this game could have an effect on what you did in game two or three of the series, it was mind-blowing. Absolutely. So I was a huge fan of the Final Fantasy series growing up, and I also was a huge fan of Disney growing up. Oh. So, so imagine that sixth, sixth grade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. S- sixth grade, you hear of a collaboration between Square and and Disney Studios. Kingdom Hearts was the one game I have literally checked like every single store within the area to try and find a copy like day one. It was crazy, and I mean it was good. I enjoyed it. I think there's issues now that I'm adult that I look at it, but it, it hit everything that I wanted at the time. Yeah, it's remarkable that that happened in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. And the story of it, of coming together, is also compared to what the actual games were. It was very mundane in comparison. Like, literally, the Disney Japan office was right next to the Square Enix office. And they just, people ran to each other in the elevator all the time. And they just kind (laughs) of like, hey, let's make a game together. (laughs) While they're waiting to go down to lunch. It's just... All right, Aaron, we've given you time. (laughs) What do you you got? So a couple ones, like single game, not from the front. Like I enjoy the franchise itself, but the single game where I was just kind of (laughs) like, video games are life, man. Fallout. Yeah. 
that was Bethesda's first foray into the Fallout universe. They were made by Interplay, PC only up to that point, but with Fallout 3, they became a multi-console and switched from a isometric RPG to more to a first-person shooter, kind of similar to what they did with the Elder Scrolls series. And it was, you know, for a game that's based in a post-apocalyptic wasteland that is full of really depressing stories, I just couldn't get enough. A game like that on paper, you shouldn't be able to find an emotional connection to. You shouldn't be driven to keep exploring and find even more terrible things <laughs> in this game. But you are, because it's just like everything with the world building, the storytelling, the RPG mechanics combat mechanics it just all came together into just a nice fluffy uh, souffle of gameplay that's another one where it's far too open world for me to play (laughs) personally but my husband loves that series and i especially like the newer ones that are all the 50s and 60s right Mm -hmm. i think that's when fallout 4 is set Mm mm-hmm and uh, the radio that you can change in the background, it has a lot of swing music that you can yeah. play. And so that is totally my jam. Yeah, because those games, like, imagine, what if the world ended peak 50s America? And so that's, like, a lot of technology. But also, it's, like, an advanced 50s, too. It's fascinating. And I just, I have to say, like, one of my favorite memories from that game is you come across, like, this one town. just has two families in it. They're all acting like the world didn't end. They're all dressed in normal clothes. And uh, one guy, one of them just like, hey, sport, you want to come over for the barbecue today? <laughs> we're going to be uh, having a, we're going to be smoking up a nice brisket while we uh, wait for those bear, bears to beat the Packers. And you're like, football hasn't been a thing for a thousand years. What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? And then, like, of course, there's a dark underlining story to it that just kind of really blew my mind. So, anyways, yeah, that's mine. Um, oh, and then, like, series-wise, one series I will just lap up like it's, like, the nectar of the gods is Resident Evil. I will play every single <laughs> entry in that game and then have points in each game where I regret playing the game because <laughs> it can be very terrifying. You and I have very different Nectar of the Gods series <laughs> because mine is definitely Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like the exact opposite of Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Resident Evil is about the horrors of science gone wrong and Animal Crossing is about the horrors of capitalism. So <laughs> they're close. I know there are a lot of comparisons that have been made online, but I still find it so funny that uh, right when lockdowns were happening in 2020, the two games that came out were Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing. (laughs) And so you either survive the pandemic by playing Doom or cute little anthropomorphic animal village game. Did any of you guys get into, like, the childhood educational style games? I had the the Sesame Street counting game for the Nintendo. Mm. And they actually had a really scary digitized version of the Count's voice. Where, you know, he's just like, what? Uh, uh, but it was like strongly affected by the technology. So it was more like, <laughs> it was just super scary for a three year old Aaron. I don't know if this exactly counts as that, but did any of you guys play the. There was one for Spider Man and one for X Men, the Animation Maker games. They were for the PC, and you would basically use all of these pre-existing assets that the game would make. So, like, a little GIF of 
one of the superheroes or villains doing, you know, some kind of emotion like throwing a punch along with archive music and notes and you could put them on different backgrounds and basically create your own little animated short. It's funny because a lot of the archive sounds like the police chatter that you hear in movies, mm-hmm. I can recognize off the top of my head because of that video game as a kid. So all of the kind of like library tracks and things that just show up, the dog barking that shows up in every movie mm-hmm. that needs to have a dog bark. I just recognize those sound effects so clearly from playing those games as a kid. So I've not played that, but I see Aaron over here is jumping up and down I, in his seat. I did a happy <laughs> dance with only my hands. It was quite the sight. Yeah, I love playing with that on the PC. I think we only had like a trial version of it that came with the new gateway PC we bought. And I got every single inch out of that game. Or I guess it was a game. It was more like, like a sandbox yeah. kind mm-hmm. of thing. I've actually got two educational games that I remember pretty vividly. One was in our computer lab at school. Mm-hmm. They had a game called Zoom Beanies. I don't know if anyone else has actually played it besides the people that went to that school. But essentially, it's a puzzle game where like you have these creatures. They look like Keebler elves, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to get them across the world to a different location. And they have to like cross a bridge or get climb a mountain and stuff like that. And it's horrific when I remember it because (laughs) you lose a lot of people along the way. It's bad. You're expecting 10% casualties per location. And then at one point you have to go get another ship of people and bring them over. (laughs) And they got to go through it too. Yeah. And then the other one I had was I was going to mention was an old Mario game that it was all about creating music, I think. I don't even know the title of it at this point, but it had like a mouse pad that you played on. Is it was, was it Mario Paint? Yeah, that it, was part of Mario Paint. It yeah. might have yeah. been, but I played it on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Okay, so that did exist. Yeah, in that, in I that think crazy. it like, came with like a mouse and keyboard mm-hmm. and accessories with it. But I've seen a lot of people in recent years. I'm at this point. It could be. You know, <laughs> it could be recent years. Could be within a decade. But creating both original and recreating existing songs using the Mario Paint systems yeah. and the different sound effects <laughs> and putting them on the key. So people are still using it to this day to yeah. create different kind of music and stuff. I was a big fan of Freddy Fish. Do you guys ever play that? No. I think I'm the youngest person here, so that makes sense. But Freddy Fish came out in 94. The one I played was the first game in the series called Freddy Fish in the case of the missing kelp seeds. Okay, yeah. Okay. I I know, yeah. Okay. And actually, this game has been re-released so you can play it on, like, modern computers, and I did definitely spend $7 to play it when I was, like, 25. (laughs) Great, great game. There are bits where you have to do math questions and remember patterns and solve puzzles, and in the end, you save the kelp seeds from... Whatever bad guy stole them, and then you can have lots of kelp sandwiches because that's what you want as a fish. <laughs> Did you guys play like any of the old school adventure games on the PC? Sierra, LucasArts. Oh, like the King's Quest series King's Quest, and uh, Full Throttle. All the uh, Mist. I hear that the actual development of Mist was like crazy. It's just the technology didn't really exist, so they kind of faked it. Yeah. Similar <laughs> to like the light guns for like Duck Hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, you guys know how the technology works? It's no, bonkers. It's, still, it's I just it's magic. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, right now we have motion sensor and all that. 
they didn't have that back in Duck Hunt. So what it does is it's, it's a light screen. So whenever you click the button on the gun for Duck Hunt, the ducks that are on the screen turn into white squares for one frame. And you have a very narrow light sensor on the gun. So it does a black screen. And then if the gun sees a black pixel and then a white pixel, you got a hit. But if it sees a black pixel and a black pixel, you didn't get a hit. Mm-hmm. So that's why it looks like there's a freeze frame whenever you pull yeah. the trigger. Yeah, they had that. That's how they fixed the motion sensor problem, which is just insane because, like, we're so spoiled nowadays with how much technology we have. And, like, we don't have to be innovative with that stuff. This is back in 1985 where, like, the concept of a smartphone is barely in, like, futuristic sci-fi stories Mm -hmm. at this point. So speaking of older games is video game preservation. Mm -hmm. Um, How much knowledge do you guys have on this? I know that the Internet Archive has a lot of games saved there, and that's about the extent of my knowledge. Yes, Internet Archive, which you go in there, there's a large collection of digitally stored books, articles, movies, clips, I think music too. But in recent years, they've been adding games. You can actually play a lot of these games from uh, older consoles and PCs using like a built-in emulator, which got to be careful where you say the big E word. But the uh, I looked it up and the Internet Archive kind of gets a pass on because it's there more for like educational purposes, uh, except for Nintendo. Nintendo doesn't like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, Nintendo doesn't like anyone. So, but yeah, that's the one that that is readily available to anyone with Internet access can go check out. Um, there's this also the National Video Game Museum. Have you guys heard about this? A very little bit. So there are a lot of different retro collections and museums throughout the world. This is one of the most well-known ones in America. It's based in Frisco, Texas, opened in 2016. And it is a really cool curated exploration of the history of games with all the different consoles and ways to play a game. They feature like interactive rooms, each focused on like a different era of gaming or major video game companies. They're known for having like uh, the largest like Pong machine they have, which I thought was always fun, the 90s teen habitat, which is like a mock-up of a Texas teen's bedroom in the 90s. <laughs> and they have a running version of the Sega channel, which you can not play on your own anymore. And then just a, one of the largest collection of working arcade game. Every step of video game development, they have a way for you to experience that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And just to uh, clarify, you mentioned the Sega channel briefly. If I'm correct, wasn't that one of the first is it even considered online gaming or wasn't it more almost like the way that you would get a pay-per-view or through the phone signal or something? Or No, I think you could download games. I think it was like one of the first services where you could download data and add it to your pre-existing games or like play entirely new games. Um, and this was again early 90s when, you know, we were still experiencing the dreadful noise of the AOL dial-up. <laughs> yep. So you can imagine how efficient that was back then. The idea would have been was not ready for that technology yeah. at that time. Which I feel like Sega was really good at being a little bit ahead <laughs> yeah, of its time. <laughs> so then the Library of Congress, which surprisingly I couldn't find too many details about this. The most recent interview with the curator, David Gibson, was from 2012. At that time, they had uh, 3,000 games 
start adding more, and then over 1,500 different strategy guides because they were trying to collect the literature associated with the games as well. But the weird thing is that they weren't collecting hardware. So no consoles, hmm. just the games themselves. That's um, going to pose some issues. Yeah. Which is where the Video Game History Foundation comes in, which is a nonprofit that focuses on what they call the ephemera, which is basically the aesthetic with the promotions going on at that time and the marketing tools. Like they're all about collecting the magazines and the promotional arts and then trying to find as much information as they can about like different contests that were being held for video games. Cause like, you know, think about Street Fighter 2. They were big on holding different tournaments throughout the country to promote that game. And I'm sorry, but what did you call all of this material? Oh, well, they call it promotional ephemera. Ephemera? Ephemera, yeah. Ephemera. (laughs) Which is basically just like stuff. Stuff that's connected to it. Well, it's presentation that is normally lost in time. Mm -hmm. So they try to recreate that to the best of their knowledge. Yeah, you just unlocked so many memories for me regarding like the old Nintendo powers and like the Sega's oh, yeah. magazines and all that. The last thing I want to mention is the Video Game Foundation has launched a side project called the Video Game Source Project, which is not only about preserving the games, but preserving the original source codes of these games. Mm-hmm. And the first two games to be added to this collection was. The Secret of Monkey Island and Monkey Island 2 with Chuck's Revenge. Interesting. Well, Aaron, we're talking about video games, and you and I both prepared in-person games to play. I'm, I mean, I'm going to win. You're looking at me, Ellen. You know, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. I'm a, little, I'm a little competitive when it comes to games, but let's do this. What if we just all win? No. Yeah, I'll everyone's win more. a winner oh, here. Sorry. I'll win the most. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'll go first. We'll see how this goes. I have here a list of the top 50 video games of all time, as defined by Wikipedia, so we'll see. Do you guys have any guesses? Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. Are we, ta- are we talking sales? Are we yeah, talking like yeah, this critical? Is, this yeah. is based on sales. Okay. Uh, Breath of the Wild. I'm pretty sure that was voted the number one game of all time, critically. Breath of the Wild is number 28. Number 28, okay. Number 28. Or Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. It's number 37. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) What about the original Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, since they were included? You pack in items. Uh, Are those included as part of the final sale figure? Okay. Duck Hunt is on here at 25, so you're currently doing the best. Oh. (laughs) Uh, God of War. That was actually a PlayStation exclusive, so it probably didn't have great sales. You might be surprised. Uh, Not on here. It was PlayStation 2, though, which was like the best. Oh, I was going with a new one. Oh, new one. Okay. I'm going with like all newer games because that's everything that's breaking records. Pokemon Blue and Red. I cracked the top 10. Let's go. Not on the list. You got to think about Mass Appeal. So, uh, where does this come from? (laughs) This list comes from Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. We're thinking first person shooters. Do we have to name specific games or can we go franchises? Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Two. No. Oh, (laughs) one. One, first one. I'm going with two. Number two is on the list. Number one is not. <laughs> Woo! What number is it, Ellen? Come on, higher than 25. Um, 48. Dang. Oh, All wow. right, Eric. Still, oh. <laughs> if I just make a ton of guesses, I'll have to get this, something right. Yeah, this is like shaking me to my core right now. Like, yeah. I don't know anything. It is, <laughs> it is individual games. So, like, if you say a franchise, right. 
Like, there's a lot of Pokemon games on this list. You just have not named any of them. Uh, Pokemon oh, okay. Black and White. Uh, not on there. Oh. Uh, Pokemon Gold and Silver. I'm going to put you out of your misery. Gold and Silver is on there. It's 24. Uh, the other the other Pokemon on the list is Sword and Shield. Oh, okay. Yeah, the recent one. But you still have not broken the top 10. No. Games that everyone bought. Triple A title I played the the Insomniac Spider Man. A great game, not on the list. I think you're you're overthinking it a little. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this: the top one is one that we used to have a program for here at the library. I'm gonna go with Skyrim. Nope. <laughs> That's surprising. Nope. Are we ready for a hint yet, fellas? Yes, uh, I want that lifeline. Okay. okay. What? Uh... Um, it is considered a survival game. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more. It's cross-platform, and it's okay. open world. Oh, Minecraft. Yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <sighs> Bojang. Of course. Yeah. So second on the list is Grand Theft Auto Five. Oh, yeah, oh, Of course, yeah. yeah. And third on the list is Tetris. Okay. Okay. Huh. Just, just the single, just that one iteration, not the Just series. Tetris. Okay, cool. I guess it's super easy to get a hold of, and mm-hmm. yeah. it's well, been around forever. And it was the Game Boy pack-in, the original Game Boy pack-in title, was it? Yes. One, yeah. The first yeah. Game Boy I got that came with Tetris. Yeah, I actually remember getting Minecraft back in, like, 2012 or 2010. Just a long time ago. It's still, uh, it's still popular, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's still getting updated. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah. love games that the developer just stays with yeah and it's owned by microsoft now too so they yeah and they're costing like releasing new versions and it's yeah. on yeah. every co- every platform right now yeah. yeah plus there are a lot of fun mods that you can do like new stuff with and change mm-hmm. up the looks so that kind of helps it stay relevant you, you guys want to go play some minecraft <laughs> <laughs> so what's the what's the rest of the top 10 uh the rest of the top 10 so number four we have Wii sports Okay. Oh, yeah. Number five is PUBG Battlegrounds, oh. which that's surprising because that kind of like came and went very quickly, yeah, I feel like. Yeah, Fortnite, like, kind of, well, it didn't bury it, but like Fortnite took most of that. The yeah. Battle Royale Thunder. Yeah. Um, number six is the original Super Mario Brothers. Hey, I mentioned that uh, right before Duck Hunt. So. You're just oh. killing it. <laughs> we get it, Eric. You win. Here's your trophy. Uh, Seven is Mario Kart 8 slash Deluxe, which I feel like that's kind of a cheat because they did just repackage it. Yeah. That's, so that's yeah. that's more sales. But when you look at the Wii U, like, I'm sure it's a mere fraction of the overall sales. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that definitely is outselling on Switch. Yeah. Pokemon Red slash Green slash Blue slash Yellow. So those all count as one. So you cheated me, is what you're saying. I cheated you? Did you say Pokemon Red? I said Pokemon Red and Blue. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, Blue is not on the list, so, yeah. What Didn't she say four? No, okay, it did no, not. No, green. There was a green, but it wasn't released stateside. It was Japan only. Yeah. Well, Let's I'm say, sorry. Aaron, I'm sorry Aaron, about Aaron that. Good. Just Aaron, Aaron did good. So if <laughs> Aaron wins. Eric wins. You did if you picked blue, which did not show up when I did a, a character search on the page. Okay. Uh, number nine is We Fit. Mm, that's surprising. And number ten is a tie between Red Dead Redemption Two and Tetris, specifically for Nintendo. Because <laughs> those games okay. are so alike. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well. 
I think Eric was the, officially the winner because he, you guessed Mario Brothers, and that was oh, the yeah, yeah. He, he got well, it. Well, no, I guess Minecraft. That was number one. Okay, but after <laughs> multiple hints, yeah. it, it so, took a lot to get there. Number one is number one. <laughs> yeah. The math doesn't change. Right. I'll <laughs> say you guessed Pokemon Blue, which is higher on the list than you said Super Mario Brothers three. No, he said one. I said one. He said three. He said yeah. three. Okay. All right. So I do thank you for that, Alan. I do have quick game as well. You guys want to get into it real quickly or? Sure. Let's go. All right. This is uh, whose video game line is it anyways? <laughs> Not affiliated with the classic 90s, mid 2000s, 2010s, <laughs> and 2020s show. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm going to say a line from a video game. This could be something that is a quote or a set of instructions or just plain text for you to read. And you guys are going to guess and tell me which game specifically. So, you can't just say, like, which game series. You have to tell me which game in the series. So, first one is, hey, listen. Uh, Ocarina of Time. Yeah. One for Ryan. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Zelda 1. Yeah. Yeah. The right man in the wrong place can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Mm, there we go. That's something there. more difficult. Oh. I'll, I'll give you a hint. Think PC. I got nothing. What do you guys think? Yes. Come on. I, give have, it, I have nothing as well. Give us some hints. Half-Life 2. Ah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the next Mr. part Freeman. is like the the sentence after that, he says Gordon Freeman. I'm like, yeah. oh, that is the way. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number four, would you kindly? Bioshock. Got it. One point for Alan. Should probably keep track of this. <laughs> Bioshock. I replayed that recently, and I forgot how much how graphic that game is. It's intense. Yeah. <laughs> I got the trilogy. Like, yeah, yeah, that the whole twist is very good in the first game, yeah. uh, and then after that, it's just bonkers all the way through. Yeah. Okay, next one. War. War never changes. Metal Gear Solid, specifically... No, 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 that's Fall... No, sorry. Fallout. Yeah, Fallout. Because, <laughs> yeah, because Metal Gear is the, the other. War has changed because of, of the nanobot. So that is Fallout. I don't know which specific Fallout game, though. I'm going to guess Fallout 3. He's <laughs> like, I'm not only going to answer it, I'm going to answer it with gusto. <laughs> I love um, so, yes, that's one for you. And it was it was in multiple fall. I think it was in every single okay, Fallout game. Gotcha. Yeah, so. yeah. Like I said, I'm not super huge, but one of my best friends is he is yeah. obsessed with yeah. Fallout. So I know everything from, from him. <laughs> if, uh, from and you can't just have that line and not use it in every yeah. game. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be very esoteric. So good luck, everyone. Uh, uh, thump. What? Uh, uh thump. Um, all right, I'll, I'll give you a major hit to PC RPG. But that's stuff I didn't play. I don't remember a bunch of Fallen Deaths. I know, I- it's like, it's, there's a lot of those in a lot of video games. Um, but this one is kind of semi famous. Not famous enough, apparently. Yeah. It's a semi. Not famous enough. (laughs) Trying to help you guys out there. All right. Give up. Yeah. Give up. Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind. It's because it's the, you're just walking around and all of a sudden you hear someone screaming and then they just fall from the sky (laughs) and land right in front of you. And it kicks off a quest about like teleportation. Yeah. 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 
Um, what is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. I feel like that's got to be from one of the Telltale games. No. Okay. Because that um, sounds very like Game of Thrones. PS1 game. Oh, jeez. I'm going to guess a Metal Gear game. No. Okay. The original Resident Evil? No. All right, what we got, Aaron? It's Castlevania, Symphony um, of the Night. So the line Dracula says that everyone makes fun of. Uh, you have Die of Dysentery. Or Gun Trail. Everyone gets it. You died. Dark Souls. Because yes. <laughs> I've seen it a thousand times. Yeah. I'm, I'm pronouncing it how it's written. Congratulations. <laughs> You have completed a great game and proved the justice of our culture. Now go and rest our heroes. It's a Nintendo game based off of a movie. Power Rangers? No. Guys, I think we're kind of bad at this. Yeah. Well, I try- I'm, I'm going to blame it on Aaron personally. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I tried <laughs> to find some not so common ones. <laughs> All right. Any guesses? Ghostbusters. Okay. <laughs> That's mm. the. When you beat the game, that's what they tell you. Mm. You prove the justice of our culture. <laughs> that famous yeah. line that Beekman says. Ah, yes, beautiful. Yes. <laughs> I am error. Portal? No. It's not It's not purposefully said. Mm. What system? Uh, Nintendo. Nintendo's hitting with all the glitches. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all the famous and ones. I will say it's one of the uh, main first party ones. Take a, take a shot, guys. I yeah. mean, it doesn't sound like a Mario thing. Okay, it's not Mario. Okay. Yeah. What else does Nintendo even make? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Zelda to the Adventure of Link. It's a town folk you come across, and all he says is, I am error. <laughs> <laughs> the president has been kidnapped by ninjas. Are you a bad enough dude to rescue the president? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. No. <laughs> These all seem familiar to me, but I don't remember. Is that one Power Rangers? No. Ninja Gaiden? No. That was my guess. I'm like, no, nah, those games are too yeah. high quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> For this Nintendo, sound, This yeah, sounds yeah. very knockoff oh, Nintendo, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, it's Nintendo, yeah. Oh. It's Nintendo, and I think it was an uh, arcade game. Oh, uh, Double Dragon? No. Street Streets of Fighter? Rage? No. It's definitely not one of the ones you think of. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, hit us. All right. Bad dudes. Are you bad enough dude to rescue the president? The of course you are because you're bad uh, dudes. Okay. <laughs> Excuse you, I am a bad lady. Yeah. Oh, yes, sorry. <laughs> Do a barrel roll. Star Fox. Yeah. yeah. Because Click on the draw. It, was, it was what the frog says 5,000 times. Yeah, and bunny too. Oh. Like, yeah. Every, everyone says it. Wizard needs food badly. Gauntlet. Yep. Okay. This comes up after an attack. It's not very effective. Pokemon. Pokemon. Yeah. X-Men, welcome to die. Uh, well, the X-Men. Well, you, but which X-Men okay, game? Which X-Men the, game? The uh, 90s arcade game. You got it. <laughs> yeah, which also has I am Magneto, Master of Magnet. <laughs> just the one magnet just a single magnet <laughs> it's really big okay <laughs> press F to pay respects oh jeez 
<laughs> is it like L.A. Noir? No. No. It's a game that came out in the last 10 years. So. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's like, that doesn't help. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, just a meme it, now, yeah, so that's all yeah. I know about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. The YouTube comment section. <laughs> yeah. Trying to, like, school you guys and, you know, looking up meme sources here. <laughs> all right. Any guesses? It's from Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, mm. where you are prompted to pay respect to your fallen comrade. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking X to Doubt. Yeah. Th- th- oh, yeah. That's from uh, Ellie Noir. Um, Ryan's going to be the one to beat, I'm sure, on this. <laughs> have his, his answer ready to go. I used to be an adventurer like you until I took an arrow to the knee. Skyrim. Ah, there you go. I couldn't remember if it was Oblivion or Skyrim. It's so Skyrim. It's Skyrim. Do you know what that actually means? Yeah. Okay. Where, like, arrow to the knee, that means, like, you got down on one knee and proposed to someone. <laughs> oh, I always took that literal. Yeah, no, it's not literal. <laughs> There's like, not it's, someone it's walking like, around shooting knees. But yeah. It's, but it's medieval, like, times. It just kind of fits. <laughs> yeah, it's slang to say, like, you got married. Oh, okay. Because you get down on one knee. So you, you got so shot in the knee, so you they, go down. <laughs> so the parallel of, like, proposing and getting yeah. hitch is, like... I got, I, I got my cat taken out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, last one. I don't know if you guys are going to get this. It's a me, Mario. <laughs> I mean, every um, Mario game. Mario, Super Mario 64. No. Ha, 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 ha. It's Assassin's Creed 2. <laughs> Super Mario Sunshine. <laughs> no, they actually said that Assassin's Creed 2 as a joke. Like, oh. one of the characters was Mario. Because it takes place in Italy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He shows up and he's like, it's a me, Mario. I know this joke, even though it's like 1600s in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he never actually says Mario, does he? He says, says it's a me. Um, oh. Or he says, let's a go. Yeah. Let's go. Woohoo. Yeah. I'm thinking Super Mario 64, where you can play with his face and everything. Yeah. He talks during that. <laughs> All right. And that's the end. Good so, work, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, Ryan led the pack with six. And then uh, both Ellen and Eric had three each. Good work. Well done, people. Well done. All right. Fun times. Eric and zero points. Oh, yes. That's right. Typically, the MC usually doesn't get any points. I mean, you won the last game. But you lost this one. So, So, (laughs) I I guess it's more about recent victories than overall victories now. (laughs) One last plug to give. You mentioned earlier the Street Fighter tournaments. We actually are going to be having a tournament for both Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers later in May. Nice. So uh, this is going to be for adults as well as teens. So if you're listening and are interested, this will be on Saturday, May the 21st from noon to 3. So it's going to be in about two months or so. And we're going to be having it in the cafe area of the teen zone. And mm-hmm. if anybody wants to come, they're more than welcome to show up. So uh, we all have to start practicing Rainbow Road. I was going to say, uh, on behalf of this whole team here, uh, our employees allowed to, <laughs> to enter. Depends on if you're on a desk or if, if you're scheduled to work or not. Yeah. If you've got the day off, more than welcome. If you've got to work, uh, speak to your supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> and if you ever want to suggest any new things for the library to do, like video game related or otherwise, you can always make suggestions either at the branch or you can do it at evpl.org. So if you want to see any cool things, just let the library know. And yeah. if you want to hear four nerds talk about video games some more, please email us. 
at podcast at evpl.org. Literally only need one email. And then we're like, oh, look, the, the audience demands it. So uh, real quickly, do you guys have any video game based books or movies that the library has that you want to suggest? I can't remember the author's name, but the book Console Wars about the Sega and Nintendo rivalry during the 90s. I believe uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg recently got the rights to that to turn it into either a movie or a TV show. So I think that's going to be adapted in like a nonfiction drama sometime in the near future. But I know we've got that in the collection. I've checked it out before. And I do have it up here. It's uh, Blake J. Harris is the author. Thank you kindly. No problem. We've also got that nonfiction section of all the old players' guides and stuff. If you want to go, either go down memory lane or see what it used to be like. Oh, yeah. My suggestion is Farmville for Dummies. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a good selection of the Halo novels. There's a lot of those out there if that's your jam. And if you just want a uh, nice, clean overview of just the you know, major milestones of video games, we have The Ultimate History of Video Games, Volumes 1 and 2 by Steve Kent. That's it. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, Aaron. We're glad to be here, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a great day. Bye.